Hey, storytellers. If you like the show, you can find Life Narrated on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps others find the podcast and validates our existence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Welcome, storytellers, to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am the one they tell stories about around a campfire. My name is Lauren, and I have all of my original teeth. My name is Matt, and I am a locked cabinet of cursed books. And today we're going to talk about the Hugo Short Stories, nominated in 2019. We are so excited, because we didn't do this last year, but we did it two years ago. It was Um, nice. And it was nice. So, actually, the Hugo's... I'm going to try and get this out before the Hugos are announced. That's going to be, I think, the 15th or the 14th. So we'll see how that works. We are recording on the 11th. <laughs> but um, so as of recording, it has not been, the winners haven't been announced. Right, that's correct. And so we decided we were going to uh, read through and be um, judgmental on other people's work and <laughs> decide which one we liked best. The one we picked uh, two years ago did not win. The one you liked best won two yeah. years ago. Mm. So, so we should listen to Lauren a little bit more carefully. This um, time I don't think that's what you should take away from this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... How dare you? <laughs> yeah. We so, can... let's see. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Six short stories for the Six Hugos. short stories. The first one is The Court Magician by Sarah Pinsker in Lightspeed Magazine. Um, the next one is uh, The Rose McGregor Drinking in an Admiration Society by T. Kingfisher in Uncanny Magazine. The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington by P. Gonna mess up. Ah. The- <laughs> you drew the stretch. I really did. I'm so I apologize. It's P. DeGilly Clark. Yeah. Fireside Magazine. My deepest apologies to, to <laughs> him. To Mr. Gigili. Or Mrs. Gigili. I'm pretty sure it's a man. The but Digili. I don't know how they identify. Yeah. You can just call him the Gigili. The Gigili. Dr. Clark. Sure. Um, <laughs> the next one is Stet by Sarah Gailey in Fireside Magazine. Uh, the Tale of the Three Beautiful Raptor Sisters and the Prince Who Was Made of Meat by Brooke Bolander in Uncanny Magazine. And the final uh, nomination is A Witch's Guide to Escape, A Practical Compendium of Portal Fantasies by Alex E. Harrow, Apex Magazine. So this is pretty fun. I would like to start with The Court Magician um, because that is the first on the list. (laughs) I want to do a quick just look through of the the publishers. We have Lightspeed Magazine, Uncanny, Fireside, Fireside, Uncanny, and Apex. Apex. So Lightspeed and Fireside are the magazines you want to get into if you want to be on the short story list for the Hugos. But last year, it was all Tor.com. Oh. It was like, a lot of it was Tor.com. I'd say like mm. 70%. Interesting. So I think that it's weird this year that they don't have any on right. there. Yeah. It's worth mentioning then, um, just going through and like finding those publishers and yeah. like thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. if you have any interest in writing short stories, I think you should, because one thing we'll discuss... <laughs> We'll discuss it when we get to it. Well, I was going to say, you're, you're good with your drink there? 
Mr. Sippy on Icy Cups. <laughs> Sir, Super Mr. loud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I drink it. Everybody so take a that's my water bottle. That's how I Everyone roll. make as much noise as you can while drinking. Get it out, get it out. Um what I was gonna say is I think we all <laughs> read read these stories and then a lot of us had a similar reaction to some of them and maybe different ones, but we were all just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think we can talk about it now. That yeah. Like in the begin, our last experience with Hugo short stories, they were all, uh, some of them were very, very good. Not necessarily I didn't enjoy all of them. Um, and some of them were, you know, of a, of a more, I don't know how to say this, because it's not like they're bad. It's, it's, it's just like fun. a different style yes. of writing than I find enjoyable or something like that. Yeah, so basically they were they were more formal maybe, and there was like one or two that were informal and like more fun. Um, and I think in this one, a lot of them are more informal and fun. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Another thing that I, was, I think is like maybe the last time we did this, a lot of the stories were more like literary and like allegorical. Yes. Mm. And kind of like kind of obfuscated and hard to understand and it was like well what they're like intentionally obtuse yeah exactly yes. whereas these ones are like it's about this thing that I'm talking about <laughs> yeah and like check out this cool stuff that happens yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah and so it's much more accessible the this time around I, I feel like that's a great word the accessible. accessible yeah yeah absolutely it doesn't I feel I definitely read some last year I was like well I feel like I've had to google like way more words than I thought I'd have to <laughs> or you know just because right they're using like kind of yeah, potentially being kind of wordy. Or... That could be us being just like dumb country rubes, <laughs> but like doubtful, plebes, doubtful. Um, yeah. So I think I mean that's the whole thing about literary in general is that if it's not enjoyable, no one's gonna read it forever. Mm-hmm. So like there are books that are you know lo- have a longevity to them. And, like, most of those books are fun as opposed to, like, super literary. Like, Shakespeare, you have, like, the option of, like, seeing Shakespeare or, like, watching a bear fight a dog. You know, it's not, like, high... There's, like, fart jokes and stuff. It's not, like, highbrow <laughs> literature. And at the time, it wasn't considered that. But now, it's, like, the height of literature. Right. And the same with Sherlock Holmes was considered, like, you know, Penny Dreadful's, like, um, almost like Harlequin romances, what we consider today. But it's, like, super... You know, it, it is also considered high literature at this point. So, time, time, right. time makes it time so really, longevity. If you want to make a good, write a good story, all you have to do is make sure it lasts a long time. Yeah, you know, it could be awful, but like as long as it's there forever. Yeah, I mean, like you think of the the biggest you know literary book of right now. Is it going to outlast last Twilight? Probably not. Yeah, you know, you think about that, which is you know. In a couple generations, Twilight is going to be Shakespeare. So I'm going to make a a big stone monolith in the desert, and I'm just, it's going to be huge. I'm just going to write in small print all over it my my novel, and that way <laughs> it can never be forgotten. There you go. Because stone definitely doesn't erode. No, of course not. And they'll find it in the desert and be like, "What is this magic?" That's right. Is It'll it... be the new Rosetta Stone. Exactly. That's right. It is a book of religion. That's right. Left here for us by gods. And then you'll have a whole galaxy quest situation. And I will say, yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> Actually, correct. <laughs> um, All right, let's start. Well, when I when I was reading them, I did like a personal rating of like one to five okay. based on. Just 
how much I liked it. Yeah. So I feel like in the spirit of what we were just talking about in terms of like not necessarily comparing them to each other because they're pretty different in terms of subject matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But just like, so so my rating was like, I really enjoyed this. And then I kind of, you know, thought about why Mm -hmm. versus whether I thought it was like good or bad. Does that make sense? Yes. I feel like if we go forward... Because part of me is like, who are we to judge the goodness or the badness of something that is mm. artistic expression yeah. of another person? Yeah, it's definitely like how we feel about it. I mean, yeah. that's always the case. And that, you know, that's just as valid as anyone else's literary criticism. So, you right. know. So I guess the, what we're trying to say, listeners, is that we're basing this off of like our personal preferences, likes and dislikes, and not whether or not this person is a good writer in air quotes you can't see. <laughs> that means it's subjective and don't add us. That's exactly. Right. We don't want to hear from you unless you have nice things to say, in which case you should email us at suggestions, suggestions <laughs> at lifenarrated.com. Yes, had it. I wasn't sure if it was support or suggestions. <laughs> support didn't make it. never been support. <laughs> suggestions. So we're going to make a new one, though. It's support Matt <laughs> at Live Narrated. So if you're a Send Matt, all your you money there. that email. <laughs> I'll redirect it to your personal <laughs> Anyways, let's start with uh, The Court Magician by Sarah Pinsker. Yeah. Um, I read this story. So, actually, another thing we should mention before we start is that I did not read all stories. I read yeah. three of the six. Lauren read five of the six. And I've read all of them. Emily I skimmed one or two. All of them and skimmed one or two of them. So, uh, probably like five of the six as well. I can say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we haven't all read them, but we'll, so we'll be filling each other in on some details of here and there. The yeah. Other. But anyways, that's just... So, so the court magician is one we all read. Yes. Yeah. yeah and so we all read it. And um, what are your thoughts? I thought it was good. It was kind of a straightforward story, and it was a little bit dark and like a little bit kind of depressing. And so I was kind of like not that impressed by it, but I did like the, some like this the weird, scary like magic ideas that, that it had in it. You know? Yeah. Basically, it's about this guy who who trains to be a court magician, uh, and he has seemingly infinite power but what he has to do is he has to make a sacrifice in order to use his power for the king so the king says you know make this person disappear and he's like great okay i'll do that but then he doesn't know what he's losing so sometimes it no he loses something that he loves Mm -hmm. so he comes to so he loses his uh i don't remember exactly it was like the it's like the first the first time it's based around this magic word that like he utters and it whatever kind of like intention he had when he said the word is what the magic does. Yeah. So like the king will come to him and say like this person is in this kingdom is creating a problem for me for X, Y, and Z reasons so can you make the problem go away? Yeah. And so it's left up to the magician's interpretation of make the problem go away and then when he says the magic word then he realizes he's like something either like the first time he does it like his pinky like his little finger yeah. disappears as if it was never there so mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't hurt him but there's also like no evidence no scar so it just goes away and then over time he loses more things but it also becomes things like like his pillow that yeah. he or like, loved or like people that he he fell, yeah. like, falls in love with like his chambermaid is like yeah. gone all of a sudden and yeah. it's, it's sad because then he all of the servants like avoid him so that they won't become beloved to him so that they won't disappear themselves. And so he also isolates himself so he's not hurting anybody else. Uh, which is, like, kind of... Tra- it gets real tragic. At yeah. The end. And in the beginning, one of the first things that the king asks him to do is to 
fix the problem, there's like someone shouting names outside his the king's bedroom window. And he's like, can you please take care of that? Like, whatever. And it happens a couple times throughout the story. And then at the end, he's the one who's shouting names of all the things that he's lost um, mm. from the king's, like, requests. And I, I think at the end, it's just like darkness. He, like, disappears because another magician has willed him oh, away. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, you don't get you get the impression in the beginning that he's the only magician, yeah. and then by the end you get the impression that there's actually like a farm of them, and they don't know about each other because they're all isolating themselves. I did not get that I at did not all. Get that at all. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was more like they just whenever a magician, so so there's also this like omnipotent narrator who yeah. says like I would talk to him and blah 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 or I didn't talk to him and you're like who the fuck is this person not sure who that person is unless the person was magic no so that is one of the old cork magicians who's lost everything but their voice okay so he said that this person in the end he says this person stopped way before I did he stopped before he lost his whole body and mm-hmm. like his and just became a disembodied voice um. um and so he went outside and started shouting and then the king asked another magician to so do they so, like right. breed not breed them but they there's right. like a there's seems to be like a like a curriculum to bring these guys up because they get destroyed over time yeah and that was clear but i didn't think they had like several at once they didn't specifically say that it just kind of was implied like that they have he because the he doesn't ask this guy to do a ton of things and some of the things that he asks them to do are pretty minor like, if he really wanted that person to disappear, he could just send guards after him. Sure. So it seems like such a minor thing. And to me, in the beginning, it was kind of weird because I was like, you have this all-powerful, like, person, and you're asking him to, like, make people disappear when you could just easily make them disappear without magic. And to me, and that was kind of a mystery to me throughout the whole thing because he doesn't come to him for every single thing, but he comes to him for really relatively minor things. And so at the end, when they talk about... Uh, they met, kind of imply there is someone else who can do these things as well. I'm like, he must have a ton. Okay. Because so that, this like, you was my were, extrapolation. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, I think the way I interpreted it was that like, by the time the uh, the main character of the story had gotten old and and like kind of torn up from doing all these yeah. these magics, um, he had been replaced, or he oh, was on the verge of being replaced because like they could they could see his. His one remaining foot was out the door, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, okay, well, time to get another guy with all ten fingers. That's possible. And so when they got that guy, then they were like... And, like, I didn't even get the thing about him disappearing at all. Because, like, yeah. I remember... I thought he just, like, kind of went out into the world to kind of, like... Like, be crazy and be, alone. Yeah, to kind of be a hermit and isolate himself. Because... And the reason I thought that was because uh, they talk about how the magic will never take your... It will never take your teeth. It will never take your tongue. So mm-hmm. you'll always be able to say the magic word. Um, and since he knows the magic word and it was like, you know, nobody like told it to him. It was like written down for him. It's like he could continue to do it. But now he understands like the cost of that. Mm-hmm. Like before he was trying to figure out. It talks a lot about how he's trying to figure out the trick. He's trying to figure out the trick. And he finally went from saying like how... To why, mm-hmm. and when that happened, that's when he was like, kind of, he broke. 
and was like, so no longer was like, I must know how this trick is done. I must know how this magic is performed. It's like, why? Why me? Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And that's when he got broken. And then, yeah. And I thought they, I even thought there was a line in it where they, the, the disembodied voice even said he didn't go to be one of the people who like rails at the king with the list of names. He like just dis- he he disappeared in the sense that he like wandered off to right like I thought like be a hermit and that's kind of what I thought. But yeah, man, I mean I could be wrong. Um, yeah, so you're right. He says he leaves through the servants' gate, taking nothing with him. I listened for weeks for him to become to take up the mourners' litany, as in the people who are shouting outside the king's right. window. Yeah, um, but he. Uh, but I should have known that wouldn't be his path either. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a reasonable like extra, extrapolation. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that I thought there was a ton and there could be a ton is that the the omniscient narrator is talking about um, how he's trained people before him mm-hmm. and how they've acted, and he has to seem seems to have it down to like an art form where he's like. He can um, kind of predict. Yeah, at this point, most people do this, and like he seems to be uh, a little bit more hardy than the others, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I um, thought it was like a like a, a succession. Yeah, I think of, like, you're a right. Concurrency, but I think it could. Uh, there was something one line in there that I don't want to go hunting for that kind of made me think that there were others at the same time. And like um, maybe I mean like I think like also you could definitely write fan fiction yeah, yeah. in that in that vein you know like <laughs> yeah yeah far be it for us to tell you your head canon there you <laughs> go that's my head canon yeah so what what do we rate this one what do we think out of five I didn't do this but I can do I mean it real we can quick. just do it right now yeah um, I'll I'll start because yeah, I can I because I kind of like proposed this idea mm-hmm. yeah so I gave this one a three. Um, I I wrote like it was kind of on the nose, but it was trying it was trying to be kind of a little more um, intellectual than mm-hmm. I thought it really needed to be. So it was kind of like okay, so everything comes at a cost, I, you know. So it was like really on the nose, but it yeah. went through yeah. this kind of weird like progression to like get there. Yeah, I had a three too because I I think it it was a good story, but it also is like. You know, blood magic and that sort of thing is nothing super revolutionary. I thought it was interesting the the idea that he loses things and then there's like a pattern of like how people deal with it afterwards mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know typical European fantasy setting and um, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think three is, is about right. Like it was well written and beautiful uh, prose or whatever. And but I agree with Emily that it was kind of like. A lot of the ideas were pretty standard, and it was just, like, a really good example of those ideas, yeah. which is, like, fair and yeah. reasonable. Um, one thing we didn't mention yet was, like, that, um, like, the thing that the the guy, the, the disembodied voice narrator guy looks for in, like, potential new people is, like, the, the thirst for understanding the trick of the magic. And so, like you were saying, Lauren, about, like, that, the how. How is it done? How does this magic work? How can I control it? And people who are so obsessed with like how to understand like they want learning so badly that they're not considering the why of it i think that was like an interesting point but it was kind of buried underneath like all this right. other like yeah pre st- like standard bog standard uh, uh magic stuff i think also the fact that that uh need to understand the curiosity that is what powers the trick that's what he says at the end i think mm. that's interesting Again, I think you're right. It got buried under the rest of it. Um, but yeah, it was good. Yeah. I thought the last thing I'd like to say about it is this is almost like 
a uh, kind of story of like abuse like an abusive relationship in yeah. terms of like there's like no consequence if he just says I'm done <laughs> they'll find somebody else but he keeps doing it and he keeps compensating and keeps justifying justifying why he's doing it why yeah. he's doing it and even after he's lost all of these things um, that are that he values but um, but yeah so not I think we all agree though yeah it's it a good five. read after hearing what you said about it Lauren I'm going to bump it up half <laughs> <laughs> well, so the next one is the Rose McGregor Drinking and Admiration Society. And I think this is one of the funnest ones here. Yes. Like, it's definitely, I don't want to say it's, like, uh, not literary. Well, it isn't literary, really. It's just a cute story. It's like a, it, it really is like a fairy tale. Yeah. For so many reasons. Yeah, and it's funny because it starts off with, like, these, uh, a, a bunch of different creatures creatures like sitting around a fire and they're like I can't believe she married the blacksmith and they're all like reminiscing throughout this whole story about this woman who they all dated for various <laughs> reasons and it's so funny because she like I I can't remember what it's called Matt but you would know um and don't take that as an insult but like when you when you like lure someone to your room but like Obviously, like, hey, I have some really kicking posters on the wall. Oh, like, what I is do it? know what that's called, and that's very rude of you. <laughs> You're the one who told me what it was called it's in the called first place. It's called a logical place. excuse. There you go, a logical excuse. That was not meant to be an insult. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she does that. This thing where uh, she gives them a logical excuse. She says, "I lost my sheep. Um, can you help me?" And there's a sheep there. He's the bellwether, which I had to look up. A bellwether is the lead sheep that wears the bell, and all of the other sheep follow oh. uh, this sheep. So there's like a bell, a really old bellwether there, and they're like, "Well, is that it?" And she's like, "No, that's that's what is his name?" She's like, "That's Bob." Or, yeah, Seamus or something. That's not that's not the one I'm looking for. And then so they go off looking for the sheep for like a couple months, <laughs> and um, and then she like moves on. And, and, the, and the idea that all the all the creatures we're talking about are like there's it's like five of them. There's like three fairies, a bull selkie, which if you're familiar with selkies, there there are female selkies and male selkies, and bulls in particular. The story describes them as like they are more like intense, like the big jock, like no necks, <laughs> like really intense like if you think about like a bull seal yeah um and so they're like really like more like gruff and then there's which is the only thing i told emily this when we talked about it there's they they refer to him as a puka he's definitely not a puka he's a kelpie (laughs) Uh, but there's like this horse creature that turns into a man all of these creatures the reason that they're like coming together to talk about this woman is because they are the ones who are usually like seducing women and, oh, and leaving them to die of a broken heart. And so Rose was like basically thwarting the she expectations a, and would just be like, hey, and sleep with a, them. She uh, had a specific taste, which was like magical creatures. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so she would basically kind of led the, the charge or the encounter and then they'd be like, well, I guess I gotta go now. And she's like, "Okay, bye." Yeah. <laughs> There's one where, like, I think it's it's I think it's the fairy, oh, and he's like, that. "I know this will break your heart," but and he's she's like, "Don't worry about it." Before he even finishes, he's like, <laughs> "I I just have to I have to you know go and I my time isn't long." I'm tortured, and she's like, "Yeah, I get it. It's fine. Go. I'll see you later." <laughs> it, like, look me up if you come back around. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And then like the the bull selkies, like I can't even go to the beach, and they're like why and basically it's like because 
Rose is described as like a very like voluptuous, like short and very like well endowed, like <laughs> breast wise and booty wise. Apparently, <laughs> he's like basically all the the boulders, all the stones remind him of her. Wow! So he's like, I can't, I can't <laughs> do it. The and then the kelpie, which is this is why I'm like, that's not a puka. He talks about how, like, he turns into a man and would, like, seduce women and then turns back into a horse and drags drowns them, them and drowns them. That's a Kelpie. Yeah. Pukas don't do that. Or they're Pukas not... don't drown people. They don't really drown people. They can be good or bad, but they aren't, like, known for, like, grabbing people and drowning them. And so it was, like, yeah, he, he basically is, like, I, I just couldn't do it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, like... Yeah. We don't usually, like, really fool around. So as they're, like telling these they're all talking about these encounters that they've had and and they're pining for her even though there's a line where they're like we're not doing that no no god no we're just we're just talking it's a drinking and appreciation society exactly so they're all getting drunk and telling these stories and one of the one of the fairies is um they they kind of cut away to him as he and he's like using magic to like make this elaborate braid of flowers yeah flower braid and um so, you know, so anyway, so then they're like, all right, same time next August or next fall <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And they're like, okay. And then you see this little girl finds the, the flower braid. On her porch. On her porch. And she's like, Grandma, like. There's, <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> yeah, who always makes flowers for you? And so Rose. Who's a grandma now. Yeah. yeah who, like, has. A she daughter and another, like, and grandchildren. And, like, it's really great. I don't know if this is the last line. I don't remember, like, what the last line of it is. But she just goes, oh, is it that time of year already? <laughs> so she knows because they always bring her flowers. That's really cute. So, it is a really cute one. And this is, like like I said, it's not very literary, but it's so fun and it's adorable. And it's very imaginative as well. Yeah. And it's great to see, like, I, I rated this one. I put point. 4.5, I really liked it. And I think the reason I was just like, yeah, go Rose, is because it's so great. And I feel like we're seeing this more and more. Seeing, like, a sexually liberated woman who doesn't, like... Get punished. Who doesn't get punished. Like, yeah. you you see Rose at the end. And she's lived a long life. And she's gotten she's married. Happy. And she has a family of yeah. her own. But she was able to have these adventures as a young girl with these, like, magical creatures who are pining for her. Yeah. And so it was just... I just really appreciated um, that... Right. Like, it was really funny. Yeah. It was silly. But it was... And it was sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Some sexy times. So yeah. here's a question I have for, for both of you. I didn't read this one, unfortunately, which sounds great. Um... But, like, do you think it would have had the same effect? Do you think it would have felt the same way about uh, Rose Rose if it was, like, a story... If, for instance, she was telling the story, you didn't get to see it from, like, the magical creature's perspective. So if you didn't get to see their pining and their, like, sadness... Oh, like she's retelling her stories of her youth or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. like, if it had been a story of her... Like, the exact same stories, just, like... Her Her, remembering them. Yeah. As opposed to... I think it wouldn't have been as funny because these guys are clearly hung up on her. And right. I think that's part of the funny part. Because they're, like, drinking and they're, like, hardened warriors. And they're like, <laughs> ah. And one of, one of the, I think it's the bull silky. He's like, you're a bunch of cowards. Or, like, he calls the rest of them a name. And yeah. they're like, well, you're here. And he's like, I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it goes into the, you know, thing. 
So, and also throughout the whole stories, it's funny because she really cares about that bellwether. His name is Saul. I just looked it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, when uh, like one of the uh, one of them is trying to break up with her really dramatically, she's like, "Yeah, that's great, Saul. Stop eating that." And like <laughs> she's looking <laughs> after him. Um, oh yeah, because yeah. another one makes a comment about like, "Well, where is his flock?" And she's like, "Well, they're all dead." And he's like, "Why haven't you told him?" And she's like. He has never done anything wrong to me. Why would I go and break, <laughs> break his heart? His heart? Yeah. You know, it's like really cute, actually the the way she treats. Yeah, Saul. But yeah, I, I think I think part of the conceit of the story and why it's so funny is the way that it's told. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it wouldn't have been quite as funny. It's still. I think it would have been a good story yeah. for the reasons I was saying about like, oh, good for you, girl. Like. It's nice to see a story where a girl can have sex and not end up in and the also, streets. And also that she's thwarting all of these, like, typically, you know. Yeah. Um, like, most women die when they encounter these creatures. Right, and, exactly. And but she's like, see you later, bye. That was another thing she said to the, the Selkie where he's like, don't try to take my... Because the whole thing with a Selkie is if you take their seal skin while yeah. they're in their human form, then you basically, like, trapped him. And so he kind of is like you know don't you dare don't you even try to steal my like silk skin she's like uh i'd only do that if i wanted to have you and i don't <laughs> so <laughs> like so it really i think you're right emily where it's the obviously the the humor but like kind of the what it, what how would you what's a word for like just kind of sticking it to the social uh, norms or gender norms subversiveness maybe. yeah but i also think that it's it's fun to see that they're not like I mean they are pining for her but they're not like so upset about it they're not like destroyed as people mm-hmm. um, yeah and they're just true. like they come together every once a year and they like bring her make her flowers and like reminisce and then hmm. they live their lives you know um, and you I mean like and obviously Rose is like a really old woman and they live forever. because they're fairy tale yeah, yeah. Uh, fairy folk they're gonna live if not forever then like much 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 longer too so it yeah. is kind of nice like I said nice, but, like, it's fun to see, like, them hung up on a human. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, they'll be pining for her probably long after she's dead. Yeah. (laughs) If this society is any indication, you know. So, but yeah, it was it was a really good story, and I I think if you were to like swing around back to it, Matt, I think you would also yeah. I would like think to. it's hilarious. It's worth, it's worth yeah. reading, definitely. Um, I, I wanted to quickly just like kind of point out, like, I wonder about like how important like the suffering of like these like heartbroken creatures is versus like is is it as important as like this woman's sexual liberation, or is it less important? Into the story, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think the, the, hmm, I Well, think like you said, they definitely, yeah, but they're not, like, you, you get the impression from that they've done this a thousand times, like, seducing women and everything, like, they've done this a thousand times. So they're no, they're no angels either. Right. The fact like, that they've true. been duped is kind of funny. They all have this sense of that they, that we've been duped, we've been had, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. But in a, in a kind of fun way, like. They're not um, plotting revenge yeah. or, like, you know. They haven't like cursed her, which some of them, like the fairies, could have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in in their like mythology, you know, they'd have the power to do that, or and they don't because I think it was like definitely like, oh, it's kind of in like a maybe like they were duped, but also like she's the one that got away. But the way they're talking about it is more like, especially like with the Kelpie and the fairy folk, where it's like, oh no, you were supposed to die. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to drown you. Yeah. Or you were going to die of a broken heart. And so the fairies 
talk about like they they lay they seduce this woman and then like you know have sex with her and then they just pine so much that they literally die from a broken heart. So yeah, exactly. They're they're no angels. Well, I think I and her think, intent wasn't malicious yeah, either. Yeah, yeah, I think that the funny part about it is that the the expectations have been subverted. Right. So the expectations of these these male fairies, which usually like seduce and kill women, have been subverted. And like so, when you hear like. Uh, you know, Kelpie, I think, you know, usually they grab children, but, like, you possibly grab, you know, women as well, and they usually prey on humans, whereas she not necessarily preyed on them, but, like, you know, kind of duped them. I guess, like, in the the grand scheme of things, like, usually those those encounters end with, like, the woman getting killed, and so, like, the fact that nobody died is, like, the best-case encounter in in every world. And, in fact, they kind of seem to, like, respect and love her, in a way, not like romantic love, yeah. but like that. They admired her. It's the drinking right. and admiration society. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of seems like ah oh, the the one that got away. The one that got away. Yeah. It's got a sweet tone to it, which I appreciate. Okay. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, the next one is the the secret lives of the nine Negro teeth of George Washington. By what? What you are? I'm said. not doing this again. I will, I will say it if I. P. I, Clark. So P. Jelly Clark. Um, the night, uh, the secret teeth of the nine Negro, the secret lives of the nine Negro teeth of George Washington. It's really good. I think so. My for Rose McGowan, Rose McGregor, uh, drinking and admiration society. My rating was a five as well. Ooh, fancy. But I think for the secret lives of uh, George Washington's teeth is also a five. I I rated it as a five. Yeah, in two in different ways because this one is yeah. it's cool because you, they talk about each of the teeth and where they came from and they're all from um, people who are enslaved and um, well not all of them some of them are like they talk about contingents of like practitioners like magic practitioners and one of the practitioners got. Uh, killed at this battle, and that's one of the teeth that is in, you know, the nine negro. We're talking about it, George Washington's dentures. Yeah, yeah, his dentures. So, um, and yeah, so I think it's pretty cool because it presents this world of like the Revolutionary War America that is not only filled with magic, but also like known magic, and there are con- there are like platoons of you know necromancers, and there's uh, <laughs> cool. pl- you know all this. Stuff. And it starts off, like, the first, like, one or two stories. Oh, okay, yeah, that's things that we've, like, learned about in, like, history classes and yeah. stuff about, like, yep, that's probably exactly something, like, a way a person was treated or a situation that would have yeah. happened. And then, as it keeps going down the list, it get like, they start throwing in elements. So it's like, well, this person was, like, a voodoo priestess or whatever. And you're like, okay, yeah. But then it's, like, the way it's described, it's like, no, no. <laughs> she was, like, an actual, like, practitioner. Like, could and do magic. Could do magic. And then, you know, and then it just builds from there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's then... It's really cool. I didn't read this one either, so... There is one story... You would love this one. Yeah. You definitely need to go back and read this there one. There is one story where um, it was someone who had come to America and was, like, dropped off at sugar plantations and then had freed himself. But um, he was... When he was in the Middle Passage, he was um, in the in the boat next to a mermaid. And he kept on talking about how um, him and this mermaid were, like, buddies on the boat, and they were trying to keep each other alive and keep each other sane. Um, and then... 
So they taught each other songs. That's right, and he he learned the how to speak merman and do their spells, and or he would sing the songs sometimes. Yeah, and then so when the teeth, tooth is in uh, George Washington's mouth, he like says weird things or like he know, like hums a song that he's like he's doesn't know like where it came from, like he doesn't cool. know the words, but he's like singing it. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool because I was just like, did I read that right? But it was like, oh yeah, he sat next to a merman, and then he talked about how like, oh yeah, so like slaves were you know obviously shipped to like plantations to you know for like sugar or cotton or whatever and then mer people were caught enslaved and then taken to spain where they would be like forced to like die for pearls yeah yeah <laughs> and like that sort of thing. so it's like you know so still enslaved but like for a whole other reason. like and yeah not, exploitive reason yeah and I, I think i appreciate these like alternate history ones where like uh, magic and magical creatures are not like hidden because i think there are enough stories of like that like these underworld worlds of like right. magic well this is like no we've known about magic for a long time and now we're like exploiting it for our own use and um, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's an interesting take on that um, that world, the like high fantasy world. Yeah. World. Yeah. Yeah. There's one of one of my one of the teeth that I liked the best was uh, there was a guy who was he was he was the one who worked as a interpreter. So he would he would work with like the you know whatever white slavers to like negotiate with like the leaders of the like African nations. Yeah, to like you know, and anyway, so like basically one day he did something wrong or like cheated somebody out of a deal or didn't do the deal correctly and so they were like, All right, you can take him, I'm done with him. I don't even think he did something wrong. I think they just decided like I'm gonna sell him too. You're right. Like yeah. something anyways, and like he so he ended up being the being the person who facilitated the misery of so many others, like ends up in that position, like on the boat. And then he tries in multiple ways to kill himself. And, you know, so he's like, oh, I grabbed a dagger and like plunged it into his heart. But like to his horror, the knife just like pushed itself out of his body. And he like tried to throw himself overboard and drown himself. But then he would just end up back on the boat with like no water in his lungs. And then he realized like, oh... I've been cursed. So somebody who could do magic has like cursed him that he can't like escape his fate. His fate. <laughs> and so uh they talk about like when George Washington has his tooth in his mouth, he's like, "Oh, it's his favorite one. It never wears down." It like, con- <laughs> you know, he 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 swore he chipped it, but then the next day it was like brand new. <laughs> so it's like these ramifications from the person's life are affecting like George Washington, and it is that like totem kind of you know like having sympathetic magic, yeah, yeah, sympathetic magic where you have like a piece of a thing, yeah. So that's cool, yeah. Anyways, it's really good. It's it's kind of because it is a short story that's broken into nine stories. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it gets a little complicated when we're trying to talk about it. But I thought the writer is obviously like really competent. Did a beautiful job, I think of like what you were talking about in terms of like it's an alternate history but he did a good job of marrying yeah. the two so you don't feel like oh this is just somebody like not making fun of 
like slavery, but like you know what I'm saying? It's like no, I think it's, it wasn't done in such a way that you feel like oh, like I'm gonna put magic all up in here and that'll make this like not as bad or whatever. Yeah, no, I think it was properly respectful. I think yeah, it served part it so of well. The reason that it's good is because it does it from the African diaspora perspective. Yeah, so the people who are enslaved in this story are the main characters, and their lives are what it the whole story consists of. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting and, um, yeah, it can't be discounted. This is actually what I voted for. Number one, uh, was this one. And number two was the Rose McCracken <laughs> drinking and the admiration society. So, uh, quickly, do do we know the ethnicity of the author? I'm, I believe he's African American. Yeah, I would assume okay. he's African. I saw a photo. I looked at the photos of everybody. And how would you feel if he were a white guy and had written the story? I don't think it would have been the same story if he had been white. No, no. Oh, you think he would have written a completely different story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're you're refuting the premise of the question. Yes. <laughs> okay. I really am. That's um, uh, a way you can go about answering it. Although yes. It's kind of cheap, but fine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think... I think if a white person had written the exact same story, I still think it would have been a really great story. Like, I would yeah. have been like, oh, this is a cool story. But then I would have been like, is this... I, I definitely would have had those feelings of like, but is this, like, really your story to tell? Yeah, like, exactly. where are yeah. you, like, this, you know... Not, and that feels weird to say yeah. in terms of, like, you know, it, it is a work of fiction. But, yeah, so... Right, like it, Matt, your question like presupposes that it was the it would be the exact same story, just a completely different author. Mm-hmm. I think it would be like, um, I think who helped you? <laughs> I think I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that it was better or worse. I think it would be just as good. I think I would feel differently about it. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I mean, this is really a question that's like outside the story. Like, does the artist matter in the and the art? Uh, in the in the evaluation of the art, does the artist matter? Yeah, and I think it does. I think you can't. Uh, I mean, this is a longer conversation, but well, that's what I'm saying. We don't yeah. have to talk about it right now because it is like a huge topic. Here, I'm yeah, surreptitiously snuck into. Maybe we can have a whole podcast on that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to say that would be a really good topic for another time because there's sure. a lot to. Because something we didn't mention at the beginning, but like, except for um, this, except for this writer, the others are women. Oh yeah, they're all—all all the other authors are women. Oh, okay, nice. so um, we should move on to the next one. Yeah, which is Stet. Stet. So Sarah Gailey actually, there's a book that she just wrote that was called the like, the Hippos of America or something. I hmm. American Hippo, I think it's called, and it literally the cover is like a cowboy with a hippo with a saddle on it. And I'm like, whatever this is, I'm here for it. <laughs> like, I just want you to know. And I've been meaning to read it because it looks so great. Um, and it is a short story. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, she wrote Stet, which is um, basically told in um, footnotes. So you have the headline of like an academic paper. It's called The Abstract. But it's the headline and then also the abstract. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, you read this, so can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So, like Emily said, it's like, it's actually like a, uh, a like a, the start of a chapter of a paper or something, because it actually starts like 5-8, like 5-8, and then like the title, and then like... Oh, okay. But then, and it's only like a paragraph long, but, um... Every like line in the paragraph has like extensive footnotes that you have to go and find and read, and it's the footnotes are two people arguing about like I guess this is like an advanced copy, like a reader copy or something where 
the editors are trying to decide what to keep in the footnotes and keep out of the footnotes. And the um, the article is ostensibly about like the pros and cons of different ways of programming autonomous vehicles to decide about like more, like whose life to save. Oh, so in a situation in a situation where a car cannot stop fast enough, and they have a choice of either killing the small child or killing a crowd of people, like what are they going to choose? And like for or a like human, protecting the driver versus the pedestrian, or, or is even, it not even the driver in this situation is, yeah. is thought of, but like okay, so it's somebody outside of the vehicle, outside of the okay, vehicle. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I did not read like this one because there's a content warning, and I'm yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a content warning about child death, and and that that is what the story ends up revolving around as like the one editor in the in the margins, Anna is like writing some very like pointed attacks at like these these papers that she's referencing so she'll be like in the in the paragraph like the one paragraph that actually constitutes the story she'll be like oh please see this paper for more information about this and then in the, in the footnotes it'll be like this paper was wrong like it's the worst like you could have done this better blah blah blah, blah. and the other editor whose name I forget I think is Edwin or something is like is this really need to be in in our our academic paper? <laughs> and Anna consistently use like replies with stet s t e t, which apparently Emily it's, said it means uh, leave it as it is. Basically, it's yeah. an editorial footnote. Um, so if you like, if you're editing something and you cross something out, and you're like, oh no no no, I forgot. Uh, that sounds fine. I, you put stet as in leave it as it is. So ignore my cross out and just keep going. So this one editor is like, is this really what we want to say about this right here? Or like, is this relevant to the conversation or like whatever? And Anna, who it becomes clear later on has lost a child to an autonomous vehicle that, that killed, that ran the child over. It in, made the choice to run the child over as opposed to something else. Right. Um, uh, she's like very angry about like all these types of topics of research and like is going on kind of like a little bit of a tirade in the, in the margins of this academic paper and uh, and the the one editor is like, I think at one point he just goes Anna, <laughs> and she goes Stet. <laughs> That's funny. So this is iRobot. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. And I think it. it I think I'm referring to the movie. I don't know I, how the story is, but like I think it's very interesting because it. I mean, it brings up my feelings about um, uh, autonomous cars, which is that you're relying on machines to make moral decisions for you. Or, and, like, drivers also have to make those decisions, but drivers are humans and, and have human stakes in human life. And they can be held accountable. And they can be held accountable, whereas, you know, cars cannot. So I think I think it's interesting. I Actually, this was one of the ones I skimmed, so I didn't quite get that there were two editors. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was like, I get where this is going and that this one editor, this editor is, like, real... Someone has lost a child to... And, like, reasonably, you know. like, upset about it. Like, I'm not trying to yeah, downplay yeah. Her, her sorrow, but also she's, like, in the middle of, like, editing an academic paper about, like, autonomous robot or vehicles, and she's like, these motherfuckers. <laughs> and, like, she doesn't use language like that, but she's like, you murdered people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Straight out in this academic paper. And, like, the ed- at one point, like, Edwin's just like, Anna. <laughs> like, Why are you even on this? Why are you even... <laughs> This should not be the project you are For on. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like she probably asked to be on it That's too. That's funny. Yeah. Well, and she has a lot of like legitimate grievances. Like yeah, for instance, yeah. in the in the story, the the thing that the autonomous vehicle chose to to save was like a very endangered woodpecker. 
That's right. She kept on going about on about woodpeckers. So it chose a woodpecker over her child's life. Because which, like, it was like super endangered and like that like the car made a calculation that wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was like from a human perspective completely wrong. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like human life should have trumped anything yeah. that Yeah. And then right, so if it Wow. So yeah, now knowing what the car picked, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it, girl. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. That's yeah. uh, it's legit. I mean, she has some legitimate concerns. Yeah, I mean, her. She's just her, not being very professional. About yeah, it. her <laughs> legi- her concerns are very uh, uh, legitimate. Yeah, but she she got real upset. I thought it was the format of this story is just really made me happy because I just got my master's in publishing, and a lot of it is academic publishing specifically, <laughs> and so just like. And it, it kind of prepared me to be an editor for these academic tomes and just, like, thinking of all of my cohort and me, how we're editing stuff and, like, doing this um, back and forth. And this feels really, as someone, because I, because I didn't read it, I, I saw it was like, oh, this refers to a child death, and I even said, I was like, I'm going to pass. <laughs> um, yeah. Long-time listeners will know I have a, an 11-month-old, and so now... <laughs> Like, even us just talking about it, I'm like, oh, my God. If somebody, like, killed (laughs) my baby over a bird, I don't care how endangered the bird was. I'm going to go kill all those birds. Yeah, I would have a serious vendetta against those woodpeckers. They (laughs) they don't even know what kind of monster they've, like, created (laughs) in Anna. But um, it sounds super unique. Like, the first, you know, um, the court magician we were talking about was kind of like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's good, but it's it's not really delving into anything we haven't seen yeah. or tasted before. This sounds really unique. It, I don't think I've ever really read a story like this. It really was. Like, the format of it was excellent. Yeah. Like, it was, like, fascinating. And, like, I will admit, like, the format was, like, really interesting, but it was also very hard to navigate and read. Especially in tablet, if you're reading it on your phone, which I did. I'm assuming you did yeah. as well. Um, I think probably if you had, like, a screen and you could easily go back and forth, mm-hmm. or even if it was written down, it would have been easier to read. But I, I still enjoyed it, even though it was on the phone. It was Do you feel more... like by the end of it, you kind of, like, yeah. you knew how, you're like, okay, I see what's going on here, but it didn't make it necessarily easier, but you understood yeah, I mean, how I understood to enjoy it. The story and how it was, like, maybe meant to be read. Another thing that I, I found very difficult was that, like, because it, the, the, the premise was that it was an academic paper... Um, and it was like an academic paper from the future. A lot of the concepts and uh, papers that this this paragraph referenced were were made up, mm. and so there were just like long lines of like almost completely nonsense citations. words, citations, yeah, and citations. things like that. And so, like the paragraph you read, like the the ostensible story itself, is just like literary garbage from or like not literally but like academic, academic garbage, garbage from yeah. the future <laughs> that doesn't that. yet exist and so it's like almost impenetrable and like a lot of the ideas are very like the paper titles that they reference are like interesting you're like oh I want to read that paper that sounds fascinating but like it's like A it doesn't exist and yeah. B yeah. it's there just to like kind of like fire your mind so that you're primed for the arguments that Anna and her yes. other art editor have regardless that paragraph is just like a block of nonsense words. Yeah, and, and like it's it's hard to like understand what's going on even because like they're 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 arguing the, the relative pros and cons and like the ways that people interpret these papers and things like that and it's like none of it exists. We have no context for that. It's I, just. I think it's great salad. because it is. Um, I I work in academic publishing. It feels like an inside it, joke. It is an inside yeah. joke, and that's why it's. It, it is garbage. <laughs> like that's that's why it's funny because like it is this just like 
one paragraph and there's so much information packed in that paragraph and she's clearly referencing people that just referencing things that she expects the reader to know mm-hmm. and um and she if you don't know here's the article and uh, that kind of thing and that is what academic writing is and it's so impenetrable and it might as well be nonsense in a lot of ways and so i thought that was funny too so like i appreciate that like that's how academic writing is but also like setting it in the future was like a one-two punch like it was like Academic writing is hard already. And then, B, you're not going to read any of these papers. Like, <laughs> yeah. you can't even read these papers. Yeah. So, like, don't even try. This is just, like... This is not the point. These are yeah. symbols on the page. Don't yeah. worry about what they yeah. mean. No, and I, I thought that was interesting in that she used the titles of the papers, too, to kind of, like you said, prime you for yeah. what was coming and help you connect the dots. How woodpeckers are, like, contributing to... <laughs> yeah, like the endangered woodpecker, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and, you know, so... They're contributing to racism and, like, <laughs> high inflation costs. That's right. Gas prices. Right. <laughs> These woodpeckers. Fuck them. Yeah. But, that sounds really great, though. I mean, I feel like I could go back and read it now, kind of understanding how it all yeah. comes together. Yeah. I definitely saw that and I was like, I don't want to read about child death. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And that's fair. Yeah. You don't have to. I really, I really, for the record, I really appreciated that that was there because I was just like, okay, I'll skip over it and I know Emily and Matt will handle that one yeah. and I went on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> so, how would you guys rate that one though? I'd say a four. I had it at a 3.5 but then I didn't realize there were two editors and I think that's kind of funnier. Yeah. Like, like, it makes it better. They definitely argue with each other, and, like, Anna, being as distraught as she is, is like, you can't even hear her name, can you? And it was, like, very emotional and kind of, like, depressing a little bit, but, like, it, the other guy was clearly just, like, trying to do his job. <laughs> like, yeah. just want Anna. Like, are you sure you're fit for this? Like, like in the margins of, like, their professional text, you yeah. know? It's funny. Which is also kind of a great story in, in the sense where he's, he's kind of in the position where it's like, you have to go deal with, like, the woman who, right, who's so depressed yeah. and so sad that she's become, like, irrational. Like, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was also some kind of, like, relationship between them. I'm not sure if if, the, if they were, like, husband and wife or, like... Because that, just... that would change the dynamic, I think. I think, oh, I think yeah. maybe they were just, like, good friends okay. or, like, like, they're, like, the two couples were good friends and one was part of one couple, one was part of another. Oh, Okay. Or something like that. I forget exactly. But like, there's a personal relationship there. Yeah, that sounds really good, though. It's interesting. What would your rating be? I thought it was really depressing. Like, and like, actually, I thought it was like reasonably depressing. Probably as depressing as like the uh, the first one. Okay. uh, The the court magician. Court magician. But it was also on top of that very hard to read because of like Mm -hmm. the nonsense paragraph and like the hopping back and forth between footnotes, and so. Whereas I think the story was more interesting and the presentation was, like, much more interesting because of the difficulty and, and the relative depressingness of it, I, I want to give it, like, a 3.5, just like the first one. Yeah. It's funny because um, you you clearly tried to read the first paragraph, which I, as someone who has spent the last two years in academic publishing, I was, like, just skimmed it. <laughs> like, literally just glanced through it. I was like, this is all nonsense. And then I started going. <laughs> so I had a much more enjoyable reading Interesting. experience. Well, because, like, about midway through the paragraph, I was like, I bet I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> like, I bet I you're like, just supposed to read the paragraph through, don't even think about it, yeah. and then go to the footnotes. Yeah. And, like, but I would stop every time there was a footnote, like, go to the footnote, read it, think, consider how that footnote matched with the previous thing I was just reading, yeah, think about it how all together, hold it in my mind, and then go on. Quick going. And like, 
It became a real clusterfuck real fast. <laughs> I didn't even think that's that's what I was doing, but I was just like, oh, this is just like an abstract. It doesn't mean anything. And then I'm like, oh, okay. It makes sense that this is the one you skimmed through, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you're just like, oh, that's okay. how it lends itself. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the tale of the three beautiful raptor sisters and the prince who was made of meat? I didn't read this one, so I'd love to hear you guys talk yeah, about it. It's um, by Brooke Bolander. Is that how we're saying it? Yeah, sure. And she wrote Our Talents Can Crush Galaxies. Which was the one we didn't quite like last time. Yeah. Um, I, I literally was like, this feels really familiar. <laughs> she likes the bird lady thing. The angry, yeah. bloodthirsty bird lady thing. Yeah. Okay. And in this one, it's similar, but I think they are actual, like, I'm thinking like chocobos, basically. No. Like, they are like vicious, vicious man-eating chocobos who live in the forest, and they... And one day, this, like, fat prince basically comes sauntering in with his big horse. And one of the, the birds eat the horse, but then they're like, he's too dumb. Like, this seems like a trap. If we, is he, has he been poisoned? <laughs> has he, you know, if we kill him, are the rest of them coming? Like, can they track him somehow? And so they're just, like, really freaked out by this. Because they think that the humans are planning something, right? And so the the one of the the chocobos go with the prince back. She like takes him back to his home because she her plan is to figure out what the humans are planning. She's <laughs> yeah, she's basically gonna like play nice and yeah, like basically uh, like a mole or something. Yeah, like, she she's like okay, I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna figure out what they're planning. And once I figure it out, then we can... Because they don't want to leave their forest. They love the forest. And the local, um, the locals know they're there and get preyed on occasionally. And because of that, they wear masks on the back of their heads to scare... Like, kind of to scare off the, the birds. So, the locals wear masks on the back of their heads. So yeah, they can't... Yeah. yeah, so it looks like they're facing... Gotcha. Yeah, they yeah, can't be the snuck other, up on. The other direction. And the prince, a side plot, is that the prince sees them and they're like, Oh, that's cute. And like, I will start that fashion when I get home. And he's, like, completely oblivious to all these signs of danger. Yeah. There's, like, bones on the ground, and there's, like, no bird song in the forest. He's just, like, completely walks into their lair. Oh, they have, like, like high high fences built. That's right, around their, their villages. And he's like, ah, oh, they must uh, really like fences. Right. <laughs> just like, oh, this guy's, like, really dumb. Yeah. He's real dumb. Absolutely. And he can't make decisions. That's the whole thing, like... Between the he whole, ended up there because he got lost from his hunting party. That's and right. And just kept going. Kept going. <laughs> he couldn't decide to go back. Yeah. And so he gets back. They take him. The one Chocobo takes her him back to the um, his kingdom. The, the kingdom. Yeah. And everyone's like, "Wow, Prince, you've captured this!" But everyone's mourning the loss of the horse because the horse was like a stud and like uh, the fastest thing, horse, the fastest yeah. horse ever. And they're like, "Well, I guess," but like you could have brought back the horse and like. They, they clearly like the horse more than they like the prince. <laughs> and the prince is like, look what I've brought back this, you know, bird steed that I have. And he, like, rides it around. And he, the bird's like, ugh, whatever, I guess. <laughs> and so the bird is... The, this story is actually a little longer than it should be, I think. Yeah. This bird stays at the palace for a while. And then, well, so then the prince is married to a, like, extremely competent princess but who's also a witch originally yeah, it's not really clear like why a, a he would line, marry her there's one line where that says like she's she's ancient or something but that's like the extent of it they don't 
you know, come back to that. Yeah. I got the feeling that, like, so maybe she was, like, a fairy. And so, like, their match was, like, an alliance (laughs) kind of thing. But that's why she's, like, so well put together and knows all of these things about the forest. Like, her desire is to basically go be a hermit in the forest and Uh just be a witch. Yeah. Like, she's the witch, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And because she's a witch, right, that's the line about, like, oh, yeah, she's, like, been around for a long time. She understands the language that the birds speak. Yeah. And so she like asks she like asks them like what are you doing here and the bird doesn't trust her cuz she's human yeah. or she's a, a person and she's like nothing I'm just here whatever. <laughs> and so they kind of have this little friendship and the and the um princess brings the bird food. The bird is in the stables at this point. Sure. Um and then at one point the the prince is like, I'm going to make a decision because he can't make decisions. He's like, I am going to enslave that bird thing that is here willingly. <laughs> right. So he like drug, he feeds the thing drugged uh, food, and then when it wakes up, it's like all clapped in irons, and it's like uh, I can't. Oh, it has like a gum on its talons, like beeswax and, on her talons, and uh, she has like a muzzle, muzzle around her beak and. And chains, she, yeah, you know. and she's real pissed off. But she, you know, so she's effectively enslaved. Okay. And then I think the her, her bird sisters come after her, and the princess meets the bird sisters at the gate. I'm trying to remember them. how they found out, or I think it was like her sisters is like, "Wow, it's been a long it's time. Been a long time. We're yeah. gonna go get her." Yeah. And so the princess, who's also because she's a witch, uh, she's like doesn't know what to do, and so she's cries in like a water bowl or something and sees the sisters coming. Mm -hmm. So she devises this plan and so she tells the captured bird, hey, I, you know, if if you do this, they'll kill you and they'll kill your sisters because they'll see them coming. I'm going to help you, but you you know, just trust me. So she she intercepts the two sisters coming from the forest and puts a glamour on them that turns them into old women. (laughs) So that they can, like, easily come inside the, like, the castle encampment okay. and or whatever. And they don't know how to act like old women, so they're, like, shouting things like, do you have meat inside? And, like... Soft bellies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or they'd be like, I will not eat you even though you have a soft belly. Or like that. <laughs> These, like, random, like, creepy birds, right. the things that they think, creepy you know. Creepy bird things, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, hello, aunties. Like, <laughs> oh, I see you have some apples. Are you bringing those? And they're like, not for you, for the fat prince with the blank <laughs> eyes, the soft belly. Prince that's made of meat, yeah. Yeah, so, so then, like, so kind of, long story, long story short, <laughs> they, she, the princess, it works, and they are able to, like, free the um, enslaved sister, and they, like, go back to the woods, all four of them. Like, basically, the raptor who was enslaved is, like, senses, she's like, you shouldn't be here either. Like, you can come with us and be free. And she decides to, like, shrug off what she kind of assumed, like, the mantle of managing her husband. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay. And so they all go back to the forest. And on the way back, they meet the prince. And they're like, mm, delicious. And they eat him, basically. They kill him, <laughs> yeah. But they go through the whole thing about them going back to the forest and how, like, she grows her. She has a little house. And she, like befriends the the raptor sisters and they live like they live together as like friends and they talk about like just enough companionship just enough alone time and people the villagers who wear the masks will come and like ask her for charms and stuff and like 
you know, so they like li- they live out this existence, which is what they wanted to do and be free. And the princess teaches the raptors like, don't go after the villages, eat the things in the forest. Like you, mm. you don't have to hunt sheep and cattle, which draw attention to you. Just eat the you know deer or whatever. Yeah. So they like have this really nice like symbiotic relationship or sure. whatever. Then it ends, right? That's how it ends. Great. And then it goes back and says. Well, you want to know what happens to the prince, right? You got eaten. So, I know what happens to the prince. Yeah, like you <laughs> no, just so they didn't they didn't tell you that part yet. Oh, so if that's okay. at the end, they are like yeah. So yeah, so they they escape and go to the forest. They talk about how great their life in the forest, and then the narrator, who's like some creepy bird narrator, it's, creepy it's like oh narrator. I I understand. Oh I I get you. You want to know what happens to the prince? Well, before they like left the kingdom, they ran into him, and he basically was like. You know, wife, where are you going with my steed? And and he basically gets like really like handsy and shitty to her. So then she's kind of like, "Well, if this is your decision, husband, I suggest that you run." Mm. And he's like, "What?" She's like, "You need to run." Mm. And and so the princess basically gives her consent for the raptor sisters to kill the prince. You didn't need any of that. No, I, w- I just assumed. That- yeah, it's like, well, you know, she went and had this like happy life. Who gives a fuck what happened to the prince? He's a mm. shithead. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it felt like I rated this one a like two point five. I, I thought it was really like I thought the story was kind of fun in terms of like I, I not even fun. I do like the the raptor women, the bird women conceit. Like I, I'm a fan of bird women in general, <laughs> but like. And the story was was good. It was a couple pages too long. Like it could have definitely been cut down and more snappy, but it wasn't anything extraordinary. Yeah, know? it, it kind felt- of sounds like a like a pe- female empowerment fable, which is like I mean, cool. That's not really how I see it, but I I mean it's just like these creatures in the woods trying to figure out humans and like failing entirely and then leaving again. I don't know. Well, I feel like maybe it would have had that tone more. So for me, I felt like maybe it would have had that tone more if they hadn't gone back to the, like, prince, like, the revenge on the prince. Yeah, yeah. Like... To if me, they hadn't done that? If they hadn't done it, I probably would have felt like, yeah, this is about female it's empowerment. It's about them. Yeah. It's about them, and, like, her, she chose to, like, leave think, her abusive husband, and now she's free and living the life she wanted. But because, yes, that happened, but then they They, they take literally back. killed and ate their oppressor. Like, that, if that's not empowerment, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, but it just... That's what I'm saying, though, is, like, it was really... To me, it just felt, like, really unnecessary. It's like, that's a really good end like wrap it up there and then they took like two more three more pages to tell you about that encounter it was just too much yeah I think the the point was a little bit lost in in that because I felt like the point was that they you know decided that they were happy you know together in the woods and it was like all about friendship and like kind of friendship and um yeah, it was kind of like, okay, well, I guess we also need revenge and friendship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Revenge friendship. Revenge ship. But the perfect blend Yeah, I think it was like, that's nice. <laughs> we can make a jingle later. I'm so into it. But I think it's like the court magician in that, like, it's very typical fantasy. It felt very predictable. It's like, Yeah, oh. and like from the beginning when I, you knew that she was going into the palace, you're like, okay, obviously you know, something bad's going to happen to her and they're going to have to rescue her. And, yeah. Obvi- and there was, like, a question at the end when they were leaving and the princess was like, 
no, I can't go with you. I'm like, what do you mean you can't go with them? Of course you're going to go with them. Like, right. What is this whole story about? Stop and like, wasting our time. Yeah, it was like yeah. a paragraph or two later. She's like, oh, I guess I will. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Why would you stay? Like, I just... Yeah, so. and the narrator, there's, like I said, there's, like, a weird bird narrator who, like, was like, oh, my little, like, fledglings, you, yeah. you just, you know. It's Coach just kind of like a mama bird talking to her chicks, basically. Like yeah. A, like a fable for the chicks of... Yeah, yeah okay. I think that's kind of a, a what was cool about the story is that it was told from the point of view of the sisters. So, like, the their bird minds, how their bird minds interpreted what was happening, as opposed to, like, just... A straight up story. Mm, that's kind of cool. Which was kind of cool. But yeah. Again, I like the bird lady thing, but it's not <laughs> being used responsibly. <laughs> this is a little bit too straightforward, a little bit too obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Like that, maybe that's why I didn't really care for it. Was or like the ending, especially, is because the other short story she wrote, it was kind of a similar thing where it was just like these three sisters and it was all about revenge and how shitty men are. Maybe that's where I was coming from. I was like, this is redundant. I yeah. know this story. Actually, you wrote it. Yeah. yeah. So mean, you're just like recycling the same themes and characters and you're just changing out this sick, yeah. like scenery. Feel it didn't like feel original. pretty clear that like this author has like some like very like very like personal trauma against like men. And, Possibly. Like, and like the patriarchy and like she writes about it as a way of like trauma. Yeah, I'm scared. Well, we all do. That's true. But like, even you, her, her, maybe her mechanism for dealing with it is like writing stories, right? Right. I mean, I think that this is now becoming a predictable narrative. This, you know, we uh, should see if she's like submitted a short story for like 2018 because yeah. the, the one we're referring to is the nomination for 2017. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to read more of her work maybe just to like make sure that is like... Is this all? I yeah, think it might exactly. be though. Well, I clicked Bird on her name. Bent on Friendship and Revenge? <laughs> her, what was the publisher? Because I clicked on her name to see like what it's else she's written. It's birdladypublishing.com And <laughs> she's, she is like the, the editor. editor. Yeah, and the publisher. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, yeah, I clicked on her work so maybe this is just Within this this publish, so then the other question is like, but like, how do these keep getting into the Hugo nominations? Like, she has a lot of friends. Maybe it would seem so. so. Yeah. So it says by Brooke Bolander, and it's just these two. So I don't That's know if all this the work is she's just. Done? Yes. Well, it could be just what's on Uncanny, right? Yeah. Or would yeah. they list all of oh. it? Yeah, probably what's on. I think she writes a lot of short stories. I yeah. don't think that she's written a full novel. Okay. I've I've looked her up last time, and I I think that's it. But yeah. But yeah. yeah, I was like, it. it so it, what did you it rate appears. it? Two, two and two point five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't too into it. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't bad writing to be sure. Yeah. Um, but so the next one is a witch's guide to escape: a practical compendium of portal fantasies by Alex E. Har- Harrow. Um, and I actually read the first part of this, and then. Because I had read all the others at the same time, I was like, Ugh. so I didn't finish it. I read this one and okay. I liked it a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me about it? Yeah, sure. So um, this is about this is told from the point of view of a librarian who is like a public librarian, you know, and she there's this. Um, she works in this in the South too, right? Which is notable. Yeah, this African American kid comes in and like starts looking up, starts uh, re uh, not renting. Um, checking checking out, out yeah. like all these fantasy novels and he's like really 
liking liking them apparently, and she gets like the sense that he wants to like run away, like and that he's like from a broken home or something. That he this is his escape. Yeah, and it comes to pass that she is no ordinary librarian. In fact. There are no no ordinary librarians. They're all the librarians are witches. That's right. I did read that part where she was like, there are two kinds of librarians, the old stuffy women and witches. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> and so apparently all librarians or most librarians are... I was going to say not all of them, but like most of them. Yeah, yeah. Are like legit magic casting witches. And like <laughs> the books are they're like daemon, daemons. And like they kind of like have a symbiotic relationship between the two. Oh, cool. And so like... They like they all make the books like have special glows to certain certain passersby when they they can like kind of pinpoint what they need and like mm-hmm. yeah, that's it's their almost, whole thing. It's like the witches when they go to schooling, they're learning how to almost they don't she doesn't say this, but it's almost like they're learning how to read people's like auras almost. And she's like, So this person needs this book or wants this book and I you know, it's like this person has this kind of like this sense about them, they'll just want garbage. But this yeah. person, you know, um, and and she when she talks about people like bringing books back in, and she's like, oh, it has like, the, this book has like the salt water tears on the last page, kind of like she knows things about the experience the yeah. book has had oh, with a person who's like checked it out in and terms of how much they loved talk it to her as well about like kind of express their yeah she can oh. kind of read the books auras too yeah, so fine. like the when like at one point like when the, this kid is walking past like a bunch of like uh, DIY home repair books and like uh, fashion books yeah all the books are commenting on his like uncuffed and like ripped jeans and stuff oh yeah yeah and they're like this and and like but they all the books like inevitably want to be taken home yeah you know so they're like this guy needs us in his life yeah we can help yeah exactly we can help his jeans you know but um so this kid keeps coming back and like is having increasing problems at home it's clear to this librarian even though they've never spoken yeah and um so at some point, every library apparently has like a bunch of like witch books that are like just straight magic books. Straight magic books, okay. That they keep locked up or hidden somehow. And um, this kid wants to to run away, and like she can sense it's like a boiling pot. Yeah, and he like, comes in with like one of the. It's like a child protective service person. So that's when she's like, he's in foster care. Oh. He doesn't have parents or you know whatever. And so she can so, tell yeah. that he's gonna like act out or do something crazy eventually and so he's like getting closer and closer to that point and the only way for in her mind for him to like to avoid that is to like to run to go to be like read these books yeah yeah. so in in lieu of being able to do that like escapism fantasy is like Mm. is what she yeah so she's been like giving she's been like kind of feeding him these like strings so like one like some some of the books she talks about like she's like ah Narnia is not for this kid I'll give him you know this book and then she talks about like uh, she she starts to get like a little desperate because the the actual witch tomes it's like forbidden and she talks about like oh our job's librarian is to get everyone the book they need except when we don't and so she's referring to the fact that like there are books that would actually like help this kid like escape his life but it's like forbidden that like, they're magic books they're, they're actually, for like actually escaping yeah oh, okay so so she she kind of becomes desperate in terms of like trying to like help him like she doesn't know how to help him and so she gives him like the count of monte cristo and because after you read it at the very end she's like you know there's a line that the character says where it's like you know like 
stay strong and have hope. And so that's like the message she's trying to give the the kid. And then she's like, I gave him the first three Harry Potters because for no other reason. She's like, I gave him the first three because we all know it doesn't really get good until Sirius and Lupin come in. (laughs) But it's about like an abused, like lonely child, you know? So like she's like giving him like these books to read. And Um, so, but eventually she does end up giving him a, a magic book at the very end of the, the story, the, uh, which is the title of which is the title of the story. Uh, oh, I see. Which a practical is, compendium of portal fantasies. And it's about, like, I, I suppose, like, port- creating portals and leaving quickly and, like, oh, wow. operating. And so, like, it's basically as soon as she, like... And she doesn't give any of these books to him. She makes them available and, like, have special significance on the shelves to okay, him yeah. through, like, magic. Yeah. So he'll pass by and, like, see it glow or something. And, like, he's like, well, I guess I'll take this one. I don't know why. It seems weird. Yeah. Okay. It's not like a literal glowing. It's but right, like right. it's like for him. It's kind of like oh, I never noticed that before, and then he'll take it. So she gives him the book this way, and uh, like moments later, there's like a pop, and he's gone, and the book is on the floor, and like that's how it ends. <laughs> yeah, there's like, this really me. He immediately like he gets the book he needs, and immediately he's gone. Like, yeah, gone. It's, it's exactly. What and he there's needed. this like really beautiful sad twist where you like she kind of like reveals about there is part of her like desire to help him is because there was like another like young girl who like came in, like came to the library looking for things and she said something about like she had on that like a denim skirt that just screamed like purity ceremony or something <laughs> you know well and then she saw the girl kind of beeline for and it's really great this is what I kind of loved about it, it like she'll she We'll use the Dewey Decimal System. So she's like, oh, yeah. And then she started heading to, like, the the 620s or something. And that's, you know, the reference number. Yeah. Well, this girl starts hanging around, like, with the, um, like the reference books for, like, pregnancy. Uh, and, you know, like, what to expect when you're yeah. expecting and stuff. And she's, like, so she sees this young girl and she's like, oh, my God, I need to help her. And there's a, there's a witch book that's, like, how to do... It's basically about, like, how to undo things you've done or something. And like she's like, mistakes, if I had just yeah. given her this book, she could have, like, yeah, read it and... helped herself. Right. Well, the girl ends up um, accidentally, air quotes you can't see, poisoning herself and dying. Mm. So she feels like she failed her because her sworn duty is to, like, protect... Yes, protect the books, but also, like, the patrons of the Give library. The books it, they need. Exactly. So that's why she has this imperative to help this young boy, because she feels like he's going to do the same thing. Like, yeah. he's trying to escape by any means necessary. And the library, which also, like, kind of lays out that there is, like, a strict no magic for, for mortals policy. And so, like, she's not allowed to be giving magic books to mortals. And, like, yeah. she'll be dragged in front of, like, the, the court, like, the witch court. And, yeah. like excommunicated and like sent if they find out if they find out sent into like you know the like excommunicated from all libraries no more magic society for her oh no right but like also like one of the last lines is like she I find myself wondering about the the hedge witches and their societies I wonder if they have clubs and meetings oh. I guess we'll find out <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she's yeah. accepted that that's yeah. gonna happen to her so I I gave this one a five as well that's great I loved the story yeah. yeah which one would you give it I think a five. A five, yeah. Because there's a really couple of good reasons. I think, A, it's just, like, well-written. It has, like, mm. an unusual premise and, like, a clever premise and, like, a story arc that is satisfying. And it's well-written and interesting, interestingly written. But also, on top of all of those things, it serves as a primer for, uh, for fantasy novels and for fantasy books. You could read through the short story and be like, I'm just reading all these books. Oh, cool. Yeah. Are they all real books? Yeah. Uh, okay. Mostly. I think some of them are fake. 
Or rather, I hadn't heard of some of them. Yeah. But, I, but like, a lot of real books are in there, too. And okay. I was like, if you don't know anything about fantasy novels, if you are this black kid, you could just pick up the short story and use it as a syllabus and, like, read all these and, like, have a really good education. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like an, a syllabus disguised as a story, which is, like, the exact That's way I cool. think a librarian should, should yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we are running out of time because, um, dear... Curdy Bird is outside. <laughs> <laughs> Longing to come Longing in. Longing to come in. But thank you for listening. Oh, let's go around and say which one would you vote for number one? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, I already said I would vote. I voted for the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington as my number one. I think I would do um, Nine Negro Teeth as number one, and then A Witch's Guide is number, number two. two. Witch's Guide is number one, and uh, of the ones I read, um, maybe Stat number two. Okay. Great. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, thank you listeners for listening, and um, we'll probably do this again next year. Maybe yeah, I like this. This I is like a good it, yeah. yeah. Don't be a trope, you dopes. Remember, books are magic. And keep telling your stories. <laughs>